listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you for spending some time with us this hour. We're going to begin with the province's finances. As you heard in the news, turns out that our deficit is, well, it's up, but it's not what we thought it would be. According to the public accounts of Ontario, the province recorded an actual deficit of $7.4 billion in 2018-2019. And that is double the deficit that it was the previous year. But you all these numbers thrown around, difficult to keep track of, but I want to tell you a quick story about it because I think it's important to note that you might recall that the deficit was supposed to be pegged at 11.7. At one point, the Conservatives kept saying $15 billion. It was $15 billion. Oh, the, the Liberals left us in a $15 billion hole. Turns out that's not the case. But the sharp rise in spending, a couple of different reasons. As the uh, FAO, the Financial Accountability Officer, said, basically it was the movements or the decisions of the previous government and the current government. And you heard in the news that the cancellation of cap and trade has uh, reduced the amount of revenue coming into the government. But here's something I think a lot of people have forgotten. Do you think you actually pay the real price for your electricity bill? When your bill comes in, do you think to yourself, I'm paying the full freight? Because you're not. You, uh, You should be looking at your kids. When you pay your bill, you look at your kids and you say, thank you. You know why? Because they're going to pay the real bill. Because that's what this government and that's what this current government and the previous government have decided to do, which is subsidize hydro prices by deficit financing and moving that deficit and moving that cost further on down the line to your kids. Thanks, kids. Thanks for paying my hydro bill. Doug Ford surfacing late yesterday in Kenora, and it's worth listening to what he had to say about intervening or getting involved in the federal election campaign. I mean, the guy loves me or something because he constantly mentions my name and, and uh, you know, but that, that's, that's politics. And good luck to him. I, I've, I've proven over the last year and a half that we'll work with any government. Uh, we've done some great infrastructure projects with the federal government. Matter of fact, today... We just announced one of the largest subway projects in uh, in Canada, uh, for sure, Ontario and Toronto. And uh, so I'm glad they signed on uh, along with the mayor of Toronto and, and ourselves. But uh, again, uh, we'll work with whoever gets elected. That is Doug Ford speaking late yesterday in Kenora, Ontario, saying of Justin Trudeau, I think he loves me. He, keep, he, keep, uh, he loves me, he loves me not. Uh, a conciliatory speech. By the premier, well, we'll work with anybody. We'll just—it's no problem. I'm not going to get involved. He says. Here's the premier again. Well, you, you know something, guys. I, I know you—you want to see me scrap it out with the, the feds. I'm just not doing it. A very disciplined Doug Ford, continuing to just kind of keep quiet and stay to the sidelines and not add any fuel to the fire and not help. Justin Trudeau by being able to say, well, look at Doug Ford over there. You can't have Doug Ford. Doug Ford, Doug Ford. Let's move to Andrew Scheer, and this is so interesting. Andrew Scheer saying in an interview that, quote, we expect that other parties will respect the fact that whichever party wins the most seats gets to form the government, and that they will understand that if Canadians, when Canadians endorse our platform, that we would have the right to implement it. Do you agree with that? Andrew Scheer is the former Speaker of the House. He understands how the Westminster parliamentary system works. And I hate to break it to you folks, but 
the party with the most seats does not have the right to form government. In fact, that's not the way it works at all. When the votes are counted on Monday, after it's finished, Justin Trudeau will still be prime minister. Justin Trudeau is still leading the government. He must then go to the governor general and say whether or not he can command the confidence of the House. He remains the prime minister until he is no longer the prime minister. Now, if the conservatives win a majority government, well, then that's just a, there's no question there. He cannot command the, the confidence of the House. He has to surrender government, and he would do so. But even if Andrew Scheer wins the most seats, if Mr. Trudeau can go to the governor general and say, well, with my friends in the Green Party and support from the NDP, I have more than 170 seats all put together. Therefore, I can command the confidence of the House then the governor general actually has to allow him to do that, to prove that he can do that, to face parliament. So Andrew Scheer is not correct when he says that the party that wins the most seats forms government, even if Canadians think that that is the case. Here's Andrew Scheer talking more about that today. Uh, obviously, what we are asking Canadians for is a strong conservative majority mandate. Uh, it is the case that the party that wins the most seats uh, in modern Canadian history has been the party that forms the government. That is Andrew Scheer speaking this morning, that in modern Canadian history, if you win the most, then you form government. That is not precisely accurate. He can point to any minority governments that uh, actually won more seats and but still needed the support of the NDP in the past. For example, uh, the Harper government, it ruled as a minority government, piece by piece, legislation by legislation. It had more seats, but we very well may be in a territory where if the Conservatives win two, five, seven more seats, the Liberals will continue to be the government. What will be interesting is the number more. If the Conservatives can win more than 10, maybe 15 seats more than the Liberals, then it is very difficult then for Justin Trudeau to make the case to the country that he should remain Prime Minister, even though he might be able to do so. So keep your eye on that. To the New Democrats, the New Democratic Party leader Jagmeet Singh is in Welland, where former MP Malcolm Allen is trying to take back that seat. Andrea Horvath, the Ontario NDP leader, was with him today. Of course, Singh used to be the party's deputy leader before he moved to the federal scene. Here is Singh now reacting to Scheer's contention that the most seats, the party that wins the most seats, should form government. 60% of Canadians regularly, consistently vote against the Conservative government or a conservative party. And so it's wrong for the conservatives to think that with less than 40% of the power or vote, they deserve all the majority of power. That's wrong. And that's why New Democrats have committed, that's why I've committed to bringing in at the federal level a proportional, mixed member proportional representation to make sure everyone's vote counts. Well, beyond the potential reform to the electoral system, which if we have a minority government, folks, nothing is going to get done, let alone that. And you can forget your free admission to national museums or money to go camping. That is going to be gone as well. Not to mention caps on cell phone prices and all the rest of those nice promises that sort of been swirling around. All of that is off the table if we get a minority, because at that point, you only, you know, a couple of pieces of legislation will actually be able to work its way through because there'll be so much 
haggling and finagling. And I wonder how you feel about that, because really it's going to come down to popular vote. Is Mr. Singh right there? Should we be counting popular vote so that if you counted up votes for progressive parties, if you counted up all the NDP, liberal, green, and so on, that that ends up being 60% and then Mr. Scheer only gets 40%, even if Mr. Scheer still has the most seats, should he be able to form government or should it be percentage? The Westminster system is pretty clear on that. It is going to be interesting going forward. Let's go to the liberals now. And, of course, you probably saw that uh, Barack Obama endorsed Justin Trudeau yesterday. I'm not sure there is any precedent for a former American president weighing in on a Canadian election. Interesting. Here's a question for Justin Justin Trudeau today about that endorsement. Did you apologize to Mr. Obama for wearing blackface and brownface? What did he think of you doing that? The last time uh, I spoke with Barack Obama was uh, in the spring when he came to Ottawa. We talked about uh, how uh, we're going to continue to fight for things that matter uh, for people around the world, like the fight against climate change. That is a little awkward, isn't it? Just a bit awkward, maybe. Did you mention your penchant for costumes, Justin? And then let's just point this out. Here is a telling non-answer from Mr. Trudeau about that endorsement. Just just so I'm clear, you didn't ask, or you or your team did not ask Barack Obama for, uh, for that endorsement? Barack Obama makes up his own mind. That is not an answer. And I'm wondering how you feel about Barack Obama weighing in. I, you know, I, I know Canadians have an enormous amount of respect for the former president, but maybe, maybe we got this, Barack? Maybe you just let us deal with this. Happy anniversary, potheads. I hope you're enjoying it today. Smoke them if you got them. Actually, well, wait a minute. Don't smoke it because that's bad for your health, so don't do that. So vape them if you got... Wait. No. Sorry. Vaping illnesses. Don't vape. Don't do that. Okay, so eat them if you got them. Well, wait a minute. No, you don't got them, even though they're legal, because they won't actually be on the shelves until December, those edibles. Today, of course, marking the first anniversary of pot being legal, and police say there is still a long way to go towards stamping out the black and gray market. Abbotsford, B.C. Chief Constable Mike Sear saying organized crime's market share and youth consumption have not dropped and that police still lack tools to detect stone drivers. You know that Stats Canada says just over 4 in 10 consumers report buying at least some of their pot illegally. And most say it's because the price of legal cannabis is too high. And again, we've seen Stats Can say that the actual price overall has come down, but the black market price has come, come down faster. And here in Ontario, try actually buying some weed in the store, difficult to do because there aren't many of them. Less than 25. And when people want to buy weed, they want to actually go to a store and do it. So this is why the black market continues to flourish. Trina Fraser is a often guest on this radio program. She is a lawyer who is specializing in the cannabis industry. And she was on Global News Morning this morning talking about 
the hiccups with the rollout, especially here in Ontario? I think there's definitely been hiccups along the way. There's no question, but those were anticipated. We are creating a new multi-billion dollar industry that doesn't happen overnight. We are trying to change well-ingrained consumer habits. That's all going to take some time. So we're, we're making progress. We are making progress, says Trina Fraser. It is, after all, a remarkable thing that we have done in this country, which is legalize what was a prohibited substance for decades upon decades, a, uh, a demonized substance, the devil's lettuce. Here is more of Trina Fraser talking about what's coming next. Well, it will be interesting to see how Canadians choose to consume their cannabis. This has been one of the question marks that the industry has, um, you know, everybody's kind of made their own conclusion or estimation of where that's going to land and the demand will be. And um, the vaping illnesses that we've been seeing lately will certainly play into that. I think it's, Canadians need to understand that, you know, the permissible ingredients in vape cannabis vaping products in Canada will be highly regulated. Um, but nevertheless, that may still have an effect on demand. And, um, and, and we'll see what products Canadians choose. What products will you choose when they become available? While Ontario's health minister is concerned about these new products, these edibles that will soon be available legally in this country. There's concerns about access to edibles by children. I think that we've seen and heard of situations where children have ingested them and gotten very ill. So I think that we really need to make sure um, make sure that the public is aware that they these are things that are attractive to children and that we want to make sure that children are not ingesting. So when edibles actually do show up on store shelves, what kind of hoops does the producer have to jump through? Are they going to have to make them tasteless colorless blobs because a gummy or is anything sweet obviously that's attractive to children and that's a big issue Priya Sam is a global news reporter who is working on the story about the one year anniversary and joins me on the line hi Priya hi Alan what's going on with producers and what are they expecting in terms of being able to put out products into the edible market well, we were at one store this morning at Nova Cannabis on Queen West, and they told us that they already get a lot of people coming in who are asking about about edibles, uh, about topical creams, and also uh, about vapes that uh, use cannabis as well. So they're pretty excited uh, about having these new products uh, in their stores. Of course, it's a whole new market for them, especially uh, for people who don't like to smoke things. Uh, but they do say that along with that, uh, they need a whole new round of education because consuming edible products is quite different uh, from consuming uh, the pot that you smoke. What do we know about when Canadians will actually be able to get these products? I know it's legal as of today, but that doesn't mean there's anything on the store shelves. That's right. Uh, so starting today, producers can make applications to have their products approved, but it will take 60 to 90 days before the first product are on store shelves. Uh, so really probably just in time for Christmas is about the earliest, uh, but a lot of people are speculating that it will actually be early January before we see anything hit store shelves. Now that is a stocking stuffer. <laughs> Priya Sam is a Global News reporter. Thanks, Priya. Appreciate you being on the program. Anytime. Jessica Grossman is a 30-year-old model who had ostomy surgery at the age of 13 to treat her Crohn's disease which she said made it too painful to eat and caused excessive weakness in bleeding of the bowels. She has a blog, and she is hoping to change attitudes 
when it comes to ostomy bags. Here is Jessica Grossman describing the operation and her life today. So an ostomy is a surgically created opening, whether in the intestines or the urinary tract system, to allow waste to come out a different way than normal. And for me, it's my intestines. My uh, intestines couldn't be connected together after a large chunk of it was removed from Crohn's disease. So it's been rerouted to come out of my stomach and I have to wear a special bag system on top to collect everything because I can't control it myself. I will say it is very convenient on road trips. Albert Delatella is a Global News reporter who has filed this story and interviewed Ms. Grossman, who, as I mentioned, is a model and has a blog and has started now to include photographs of herself with her ostomy bag in the picture to try and lessen the stigma surrounding this. Albert joins us on the line. Hi, Albert. Hi, Alan. This is a fascinating story and a fascinating young woman. She, she really is, yeah. I mean, you heard her clip there. I mean, she had uh, much of her large intestine and part of her small intestine removed uh, um, at the age of 13 because of her severe Crohn's disease, which is one of the inflammatory bowel diseases. And yeah, for the past 10 years, she's been uh, very active on social media, especially Instagram, posting photos featuring her ostomy. And the latest campaign she's doing um, actually recreates iconic modeling photos using herself as the model uh, and uh, you could almost miss her ostomy bag, the idea being that she's alive today because of her ostomy, but that it doesn't define her. Here's Jessica Moore on the reality of having an ostomy bag and the stigma that she faces. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I go to the bathroom in a bag that's on my stomach. It's never going to be something pretty. But that's what it is. And so without the proper conversation about why I have to do that and without the understanding of who I am as a whole, it's kind of out of context, obviously known as something that's not the most pleasant thing to have. Um, the, the stigma has definitely changed, or, or I would like to say it's almost gone. We've got a long way to go, but it's, it's definitely changed. That is Jessica Grossman, a 30-year-old model who had ostomy surgery at the age of 13, we are speaking with Albert Delatala, the Global News reporter who filed the story, and you can see that on globalnews.ca right now. Uh, Albert, what has she said about the reaction to the photos and the things that she posts? Yeah, well, I mean, she, I mean she's received a um, largely positive reaction. I mean, uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, in the past there has been a stigma around ostomies. There is that. I mean, there is that yuck factor, right? I mean, it involves uh, human human waste, but uh, and, and, and also in the past it was thought of something that, you know, only older people got uh, and kind of that it would be a hindrance on your life. But what she's trying to, to show is that, in fact, People with with ostomies, with stomas, they can they can largely do anything that anyone else can do, and and people have responded positively to that. Both both people who who experience inflammatory bowel disease, and also the general public who I mean, some of whom may not even know what an ostomy is. Right, and Crohn's disease, as you point out, and as she has pointed out in that interview, it is not something that just affects the elderly. It's not something that, you know, it's an old people thing. There are, I know of a number of colleagues of mine who suffer from Crohn's and have had to have operations. And I think it's important that we start having this conversation and, and start talking about this and not just mm -hmm. pretending it, it's not there or it doesn't happen. 
Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, in, in her photos, I mean, I think in, initially she was telling me that uh, the ostomy bag was kind of front and center, right? Because 10 years ago, it was something that people didn't tend to talk about. It was something that was hidden. But uh, now people do talk about it. The stigma has lessened over the years, although, I mean, it's not gone, but it's, it's lessened. But now, but now, yeah, she's trying to shift that conversation to, to yes, we can still talk about it, but also look at the person as a whole and not just the ostomy bag. Albert Delatella is a Global News reporter, and as I mentioned, you can read his story right now on globalnews.ca, and he'll be filing a television story on that tonight on Global News at 5.30 and 6. I look forward to seeing that, Albert. Thanks for being on the program. Absolutely. Thanks, Alan. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this hour. I don't know about you, but I like cheese. Cheese! I really enjoy cheese, but I don't think, and I'm not 100% sure about this because I do like cheese quite a bit, but I don't think I would buy cheese from a guy that knocked on my door. If a, if a man, if a dude just knocked on my door and said, cheese. Hey, I got some cheese, I don't think I would bite. However, police in California have now cracked down on a ring of cheese thieves. Two men accused of stealing $50,000 worth of cheese from a local business have been arrested in Lemur, California, southeast of San Jose. Investigators say the pair had taken items from the Leprino Foods plant for the last two years and selling the cheese on social media sites, at flea markets, and even going door-to-door on the street throughout the state. Though cops say they've recovered some of the hot cheese and have arrested the duo, they believe others are involved, urging the public to call in any tips. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. Hot cheese. Still with cheese? Panera Breads, mac and cheese. Have you seen this? Do you go to the Panera Breads? A couple of days ago, a user on TikTok posted a video called Exposing Panera, and it showed how the chain's macaroni and cheese is prepared. In the clip, a frozen baggie of pre-made mac is taken out of a cardboard box, slipped into a tub of hot water, and then emptied onto a bowl and served with a big smile. After some 950,000 likes on TikTok and a retweet from UberFax that was viewed more than 11 million times, guess what's happened? Well, that Panera worker is now a former Panera worker. She gives her name as Brianna Ramirez on social media, and she has tweeted she was fired after her TikTok was picked up by local news. Cheese. Be careful what you do with the cheese. Cheese. Top Trump administration officials today are in Turkey to push for a ceasefire in northern Syria. Vice President Mike Pence and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo were among those sent on the emergency mission the president seemed to undermine just hours earlier, dismissing the crisis as being between Syria and Turkey. Let them work it out. We shouldn't be over there. And that the U.S. has no stake in defending Kurds who fought alongside it against Islamic State militants. The House has overwhelmingly denounced the president's troop pullout, worrying the Turks 
will slaughter the Kurds, whom it considers terrorists. Few officials believe Pence will actually convince Turkey to accept a ceasefire, and even if he does, it won't erase the message the president sent to America's allies. Sagar Magani, Washington. Now that doesn't mention the actual message that the president sent to the president of Turkey, to Erdogan. Have you seen the actual letter? It says, quote-unquote, don't be a tough guy, and I'll call you tomorrow. Here's Jackson Prosco, our global national correspondent in Washington, talking about this extremely bizarre letter that Trump sent. President Erdogan of Turkey threw it in the garbage. Meanwhile, it was distributed yesterday at the White House to Democrats who'd come for a bipartisan meeting with the president at the White House, a meeting that turned uh, really heated in what Democrats describe as the president ended up having a meltdown in that meeting. Uh, all told, this is a mess, and I think it sort of speaks to the fact that Trump is really going it alone here on U.S. foreign policy. He's defying the advice of experts. He's defying the advice of his own generals and diplomats, and he's really making it up as he goes along. And the point is, he can send letters like that all he wants. The U.S. no longer has any leverage now in this fight against Turkey because it has withdrawn its troops from that part of Syria to make way for Turkey to move in. And in fact, just yesterday, the U.S. was was reportedly bombing its own bases because it was retreating so quickly. It didn't want to leave anything behind for Turkey or Russia or Syrian forces to make use of. That is Jackson Prosco, Global National Correspondent out of Washington, talking about that new release also from Turkey today, who Turkish officials say, oh, when Erdogan got the letter, he dumped it in the trash. Now, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi held that explosive meeting with Trump on this issue, which led to her and the Senate Minority Leader Charles Schumer walking out of the room. Republican leaders have said Ms. Pelosi's behavior was unbecoming, criticized her for storming out. Ms. Pelosi and Mr. Trump also accused each other of having a meltdown. No, you had a meltdown. No, you had a meltdown. No, you had a meltdown. And then the president later tweeted a photo of the confrontation. I don't know if you've seen this picture. It's a it's a shot of a uh, conference room, and Ms. Pelosi is standing up, and she's pointing at Mr. Trump, who is clearly shouting back at her. But the image then now has been praised by Democrats, who said it was iconic and showed Ms. Pelosi's finest moment. And Ms. Pelosi has then now taken this photo and made it her top image on Twitter. So a bit of a backfire there for Trump on that. But meanwhile, in Turkey, what must President Erdogan be thinking about all of this? Here's Jackson Prosko again. If you're President Erdogan, you've got to be wondering what the heck is going on here because you've uh, heard a commitment from Trump on the phone to one thing. Then in public, he comes out and says something completely different. But the bottom line is you don't need to listen to him anymore because the U.S. has no leverage here in this situation. That is the latest on what's going on in Syria with Turkey and the ongoing difficulty with the U.S. president's uh, diplomatic relations, shall we call it. Welcome back, and thank you so much for spending some time with us this hour. You may have heard about Barack Obama endorsing Justin Trudeau and wondering to yourself, what in the world is a former leader doing weighing into another nation's politics? Well, I can tell you just right now on Twitter, just one minute ago, Gerald Butts, of course, he is the... Uh, is a good friend of Justin Trudeau and is helping with his campaign. 
He tweeted this out in endorsing Justin Trudeau. Barack follows what uh, many former heads of government who remain active in promoting the values and policies they pursued in office. And what he is retweeting is Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper endorsing Narendra Modi in the Indian election. So, as you can see, former leaders, they do it, and the liberals are now saying, well, look at this, our former leader's doing that as well. How's your faith? Have you lost your faith? Well, the Vatican has a new smart gadget to help you recapture it and to capture the attention of young Catholics. The Vatican has launched a click-to-pray e-rosary to reach young people where they spend most of their time on their smartphones. The rosary is an app-driven bracelet in the shape of a cross with beads that help kids learn how to pray. The e-rosary is activated by making the sign of the cross and is synchronized with a free app, which opens an audio guide with exclusive images and personalized content. The e-rosary is already available online if you're willing to pay to pray. About 100 bucks. Megan Williams, ABC News, Rome. I'm just going to tick-tock my way right to salvation, is what I'm going to do. I'm going to Snapchat my way into heaven. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Uh, staying with uh, technology, when it comes to AI, when it comes to robots who can do everything, can a robot actually write a politician's speech? Well, we looked into that, and Josh Elliott is a global national online journalist who joins me in studio with a a fascinating story where, Josh, we've taken some of the catchphrases that the politicians in the federal election are using and just programmed it right into the bot. And what did we hear back, Josh? Uh, We heard a wide range of things. Some of it was inspiring and some of it was a little absurd, but it was all pretty fun. It was a it was a good exercise because we've been hearing these slogans every day for what feels like forever. It does, doesn't it? If if Justin Trudeau says, you know, forward, you know, let's go forward. Isn't that his line? Let's go forward. Choose forward. Choose forward. That's it. There's so many different forwards. It's tough to keep track. So if you put choose forward into the bot, what do you get? Uh, so the bot gives us some pretty fun basketball instructions. Uh, it says, choose forward. The first time you do, you'll be able to put the ball on your target with accuracy. If you try to dribble it into your opponent's hands, you'll hit your foot, but the ball will go just as far as if you'd held it. And it goes on like that. That's genius. Pretty brilliant. That's Yeah, that, that, there's no fault there. All right, what else, what else have we got? Uh, so we ran the conservative one through as well. Uh, it's time for you to get ahead. Uh-huh. That actually came out pretty spot on. Uh, it produced a speech where... Uh, the candidate is talking about fiscal conservatism. You know, we got to cut taxes. We have to reduce the budget. It was very, very accurate. It was actually surprising. It was right on message. So that that phrase, when you put it into the AI, comes back with pretty much all the rest of the conservative talking points. Basically, yeah. And it's worth noting as well that if you do this at home and you can, that we did it through a website called talktotransformer.com. It's going to generate something different every time. So we had to run it through a couple of times in some cases. I know we used the People Party of Canada slogan, and we got a discussion of Marvel Comics in the 70s. So it's a little hit or miss, uh, but it was a fun exercise to do. I think Bernier should adopt that as a policy. <laughs> that would be that he might actually gain a little bit more attraction. Uh, did you try the NDP? We did. It actually turned into a pretty heartfelt speech. Oh, yeah. Uh, the NDP is in it for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that turned into a discussion of giving to other people so that they don't try to take away from you and spreading love with other people. It's very, in a weird way, 
along the lines of what Jagmeet Singh would discuss on the campaign trail. So that worked that worked okay. What was your takeaway then from AI and, and these bots and, and how accurate they are to be able to do this kind of thing going forward? Well, they're not quite there yet, but I think it shows that it's possible. I mean, you know, these things are trained on Reddit, essentially. They've gone through all these posts online and collected the commonalities in the way that we talk. So when you give them a little bit of text, they figure out the rest. And when you give them a little bit of political text, they can kind of fill in the blanks. And it sounds somewhat convincing, especially if you don't pay attention to the details. Uh, I know when we did the block, it, Quebec is in their slogan. So when you put in Quebec, it turns into a, a discussion about energy, the energy sector in Quebec. So the more information you give it, the closer it can get, but it's still not quite there to produce fake content entirely that everyone will believe. And what do the experts think the future of all of this is? Well, this tool is actually a scaled down version of one that exists by the company that made it called OpenAI. And they're holding on to it because they're worried about what could be done in the future with this. So they sent out... What do you mean worried? They're worried that it could be used for malicious actions. They haven't said it specifically, but I know other people are concerned that you could use it to create uh, fake comments online. You could get a Twitter bot army and just get them to say what seems like natural comments about people when it's not. Uh, or just to leave fake reviews on Amazon and pump up your numbers or bury someone's numbers. So Just get on that Yelp and just say that this restaurant is fantastic. Exactly. So there are some bad applications for this, as well as some fun ones like this. Hmm, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, you can read Josh Elliott's piece on globalnews.ca about who said it better. The bot writes speeches based on election slogans. It's fascinating. Josh, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. I'm wondering if you dig on the seafood. What are you eating? Do you like seafood? Because a new investigation tested seafood bought in Montreal and found more than half, more than half of the samples were mislabeled, adding to mounting evidence that Canada has a widespread and unchecked seafood fraud problem. Now, the report's the most up-to-date look at what actually ends up on your dinner plate when you buy fish. It discovered that 61% were mislabeled in some way, and 34% were an entirely different species than advertised. In most cases, we see a more expensive fish substituted with a less expensive species, says Sayara Thurston, who is seafood fraud campaigner at Oceana Canada, who put this all together. Now, here's what she recommends. Do your research. And here are three particular kinds of fish where you really have to pay attention. And you got to watch it because odds are, especially if you look at this number, 50% of the time you may be getting a fraud on your plate when you order the following. Red snapper. I love a good red snapper. But many, many times when you order red snapper, you know what you get? Tilapia. That's what you get. Anything advertised as wild such as wild salmon. Often that is substituted with farmed salmon, so not really wild at the end of the day. And then tuna, and I did not know this one. This is a learning thing for me. I didn't realize that they would substitute something called escolar for tuna. So when you're getting that seared tuna, mm-mm, you're down there in Bay Street, you're having an expensive lunch. I'll have the seared tuna. That's not a tuna. Now, what would you do to save your truck? 
This is a wild story coming out of Kamloops today, where an owner of a pickup truck stolen in British Columbia has now survived a high-speed, potentially life-threatening ride in an unsuccessful bid to save his property. The flatbed pickup was reported stolen last Friday in the southern interior city of British Columbia. But a man and a woman continued to just simply drive it around the area. And the owner of the vehicle says he spotted it Wednesday. So what did he do? He jumped onto the flatbed when the pair in the cab started to drive away. The vehicle topped 100 kilometers an hour as it careened down several streets, clipping a power pole and three other vehicles as the owner clung onto the back. He says throughout the ordeal, the driver tried to dislodge him by swerving aggressively before crashing the truck into a field where it burst into flames. The owner was not hurt. But charges are now being considered against a man and a woman who suffered non-life-threatening injuries in the crash and were arrested at the scene. You may love your truck, but maybe, just maybe, let it go. Let it go. Turn that off.